0: Well, this past week, uh, my family, I know like many of yours, had a few days uh, away for spring break. And uh, we, we did something that I've wanted to do for a long, long time. We went down to the Everglades and uh, we saw some alligators. And, and I booked something I saw online. I, I was a little nervous, but I, I figured others have done it and survived or they wouldn't be offering. I, I booked a kayak tour on the Everglades. Which in some ways was the dumbest thing I've ever done, but. It was pretty cool. And we, we set out at twilight. I got the one in the evening. So I wanted to try to see, you know, as many gators and wildlife as we could. So we set out about five o'clock and, and we're going there in the daylight. And man, we saw some cool gators, just a few during the day. One was at least 12 feet long. I mean, it was just huge sitting on the bank. And and uh, it was pretty intimidating to be in this little kayak looking across at this thing. And it was cool. So we go through and go into the mangroves and all this stuff. You've never done it. It's actually really, really cool. I recommend it but coming back it's dark and they give you these little spotlights to put on your forehead like that's going to help and um and you're going through the water and and uh I've got 5 in my family and 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 we're we're all in our own little kayaks and we've got this guide with us who doesn't have a gun or a fishing pole or anything and uh, he's got a little more expertise than what I've got but we're going we're we're going and and uh And at night, they're like, these alligators are everywhere. You see all these bright lights looking back at you. And there's one in particular, this dude is right in the middle of this little canal that we're going through and he is not moving. He's kind of like, bring it on. (laughs) And so we're kind of going and we saw a bunch on the bank, which was cool to see their eyes glowing, you know, it's scary, but kind of cool. Well, this one in the middle, he he ain't moving and and so we kind of stop and like, I'm like, this is crazy. What's going to happen? And the guide, this is a true story. This is exactly what he said. The guide says, all right, I'm going to have you just kind of pass on the right there and then I'll stay right here, and watch it for you. <laughs> now, you guys, had I passed on the right, I, I would have been like literally four feet from this thing. And so I said to him, how about you pass on the right? <laughs> and if you live, then I'll follow you around, right? I know I signed a waiver to do this thing, but I don't plan on anybody actually having to use it. And so, like, I didn't mean to be rude. I didn't mean to be, you know, like, mean-spirited. But, like, I wasn't about to pass that thing on the right. I'm thinking, no, dude, I'm paying you to die, not me, right? Right? This is your job. And, and so like, literally I'm like, no, how about you go and I'll stay here. And so he started paddling. And eventually the gator went under and scared him away. And, and obviously I'm here today. So we lived to tell about it, but I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you found yourself skeptical. <laughs> you found yourself a little fearful, a little concerned. I don't know if you ever found yourself in a situation where maybe for some good reason you, you were kind of pushing back against something that uh, someone has suggested to you or had uh, communicated to you. There's certainly been those times in my life. And this week I, I had one of those times for sure. And, and, you know, it's interesting. We live in a day and a time actually where there seems to be more skepticism and more pushback specifically about the claims of Christianity than at least at any time in my life. It's, it's interesting, we, we live in a time that has quite a bit of skepticism. We live in a time that actually is deeply divided, like our, our society is deeply divided. We live in a time when there's a lot of pushback. We live in a time there's a lot of arguing. We live in a time there's just, there, there's a lot of animosity, you know? And, and and it's 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 interesting because for many of us you know we we kind of feel like man I don't know this is as bad as we've seen it at least it's as bad as we've seen it in a long long time we live in a day where there are political divides there's a lot of frustration legitimate frustration we live in a time where there are cultural divides you know there's there, there are divides between different parts of our country, different, different, different peoples and different perspectives. We live in a day where there are ethnic divides. There's ongoing conflict with regard to different people, groups and ethnicities. And there, there are certainly a lot of spiritual divides. You know, we're seeing a growing resistance to the claims of Christianity and to a biblical worldview. More skepticism, more pushback, more concern more animosity. You know, I find it especially interesting that those who are supposed to be the most tolerant among us seem to be the most intolerant. <laughs> it's like we're, we're a tolerant people if you agree with us. But if you don't agree, the tolerance seems to run a little thin. And, and so we're in a season where there's a lot of skepticism, there's a lot of pushback, there's a lot of division, there's a lot of negativity, but I actually want to encourage us today by the reality that there have been other Christ followers throughout the past 2,000 years in this movement known as Christianity who've experienced similar pushback, similar skepticism, and we're able to make some bold moves to advance the ministry of Jesus. It it can be frustrating and discouraging to to live and to minister where we live and where we're trying to bring honor to Jesus. But you know, we're not the only ones who have found ourselves in a situation where there's increasing skepticism and division. Let Let me take you back to actually one of the most strategic cities in the entire world, really in the history of the world, the city of Athens. You know, in the first century, Athens was one of the most influential cities in the entire world. It was the epicenter of philosophical and cultural learning. It was like all of our Ivy League schools rolled up into one and then you throw in Cambridge and Oxford just for good measure. Okay, like Athens was the place, it, it was the center of learning, of philosophical development. It was, it, it was a place that was incredibly strategic and, 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 and it, it was also a, a place with deep cultural divides. In other words, it wasn't that dissimilar from the country and the society in which we live. You see, if you go back to Athens in the first century, you have deep divisions. Guess what? You have political divisions. You have philosophical groups that strongly opposed each other. You had cultural divisions. Women, for example, had almost no rights and their testimonies were not even admissible in court. You had ethnic divides. You have Jews living in Athens and, of course, Greeks. And you, you, you have various people groups there, and not all of them were viewed and treated the same. And then, and then you have great spiritual divide in Athens. You know, human reason was elevated there above informed faith. And, and the Greeks were a deeply religious people, so much so that they pretty much had a God for everything. So the kinds of divisions that we see in our society, the kind of skepticism that we see in our society, the kind of of challenges that, that, that we see in our society, guess what? Athens had a lot of the same type of challenges, divides, and skepticism. And then one day, this guy named Paul rolls into Athens. And I want to show you today how he makes a pretty bold move. You know, Paul was unique because he, he was a Jew, but he also possessed Roman citizenship. He was unique because he was highly educated and able to converse with a wide range of people. He could converse with an Epicurean philosopher and he could converse with a Jew in the Jewish synagogue. Paul was very, very capable of dialoguing substantively with anyone and everyone. And we have a snapshot of his time in Athens in the book of Acts, the 17th chapter. And if you have a copy of God's word, I'd love for you to turn there with me, Acts 17, you'll find it there early on in the new Testament. And from his time in Athens, we, we, we glean some valuable insights about how to make some bold moves in a skeptical society. We, we learn from Paul, I believe how to take some steps forward in our efforts to make some bold moves in a in a culture that's very divided and, and very challenging in other words let me let me say it this way here's what we're going to discover in act 17 today we learn how to make the unknown god known because if if you're paying attention you understand this isn't your mom and dad's america This isn't your grandmother and grandfather's America. There's not just an implicit understanding about God and his work of salvation in Jesus. I I think many of us would be amazed to learn about the number of people in our nation who literally have never heard clearly about the life-changing, life-giving work of Jesus Christ. We, We don't... We don't live in a day and an age where there is a built-in cultural Christianity like some of you grew up with. We're not in that day and time anymore. Our culture is looking more and more like the Athenian culture with every single passing year. And we learn from this guy named Paul how we can make an unknown God known to people in a skeptical and even divisive society. Because when Paul arrived in Athens, he, he engaged that city in a way that's very instructive for us. And, and so I want to share with you actually four things we learned about how to engage a skeptical and divisive society. Society in our effort to make some bold moves and make the unknown God known to those around us. Let's pick it up here in Acts 17 and verses 16 and 17. Notice what happens when Paul arrives in this incredible city. All right, here's what happens. While Paul was waiting for for other disciples, his friends there in Athens, he was deeply troubled or provoked by all of the idols that he saw everywhere in the city. And he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews, And the God fearing Gentiles, and then he also spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. Now, the first thing we learn about engaging a skeptical society is that we must be provoked in our spirit. Say, what does it take for me to make a difference for King Jesus in our nation? What does it take for me to make a difference for King Jesus where I work, where I live, where I go to school? What does it take? Hey, listen to me very, very carefully. The first thing it takes is a provocation of your spirit. A deep unsettling about the depth of spiritual darkness around you. In other words, you have to care. <laughs> when Paul went to Athens, he was there connecting with some other followers of Jesus and some other leaders. But, but while he's strolling around the city and he's, he's waiting for these friends, he, he becomes incredibly disturbed about the spiritual losses that's there. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Lostness is everywhere and idolatry is everywhere. But when Paul rolled into Athens, he saw a city that was both intellectual, but also idolatrous. Incredibly intellectual, incredibly idolatrous. Intellectual in that you you have some incredible learning coming out of this great city, right? I mean, there in Athens, you have Pythagoras who is establishing principles of mathematics that... I was once taught and have now forgotten. (laughs) Socrates taught Plato who taught Aristotle and developed the foundation of philosophy and logic. It was an intellectual city, but it was an idolatrous city. It's, It's fascinating that people who were so intelligent had so many idols. It's been said of Athens that it was easier to meet a God there than a man. And so as Paul's strolling around the city, he's seeing one right after the other, these, these statues, these idols to all of these gods. They had a God for everything. Let me say it this way. Their temples were full, but their lives were empty. <laughs> and that's the condition of so many in our society. People's lives are full of activity, full of other people, full of blessings, full of provision, but yet so many people, they are empty. And, and we have the cure for the, for the greatest need in the world. And to get that cure to people, I just, I just, this is going to sound so simple, but it's so true. We have to feel the same burden that Paul felt. The burden for lostness in our society, listen to me, it has to surpass our anger and our frustration with it. The reason that we get frustrated, the reason we get discouraged, the reason we get exasperated is because we live among a people that don't know the glory of King Jesus. And thus, the way they conduct their lives and the way they write policies and the way they carry out their actions are often wicked and corrupt and frustrating and discouraging and exasperating. But hear me, it was no different in Athens. And when Paul got there, I just want you to see his deepest level of burden was with the overwhelming lostness there. And my my hope is that we will be a people who, who capture that burden, that what people need more than anything else is a relationship with Jesus and they're missing the boat on it. Their lives are full, but full of like earthly temporal things, but really their hearts are empty. The, the, their eternities empty, lost, hopeless. No wonder they're living the way that they're living. No wonder they're embracing what they're embracing. They're doing everything they can That's how people live. They're embracing everything they can to try to fill the void that only Jesus can fill. That was true in Athens. It's true in our day. And so listen, there can be no evangelization without provocation. It's like Jesus coming into Jerusalem and weeping over this city seeing their desperate need. What does it look like to take bold moves in a skeptical and even challenging society? Well, we have to first be provoked in our spirit because here's the thing, there are so many people around us that that don't realize the danger that they're in. They don't realize it. I read a book several years ago now called Unsinkable. It was actually a biography of the Titanic y'all've heard about the Titanic <laughs> some of you are like oh yeah the one with leonardo dicaprio and no he wasn't on the original titanic okay I, I tell you, it's one of it's one of my favorite biographies because the the author of of, of the book you know and all of this research you know what he found that i i just couldn't get over he he found the guy's name is daniel butler the author that there were large numbers of people on the Titanic after the iceberg was struck who were uninterested in the fatal damage to the ship. You know, it it was said before Titanic set sail that not even God could sink that ship. (laughs) And many people believe that. And so as calls were made for People to head to lifeboats and to get off of the ship. Literally, here's what Daniel Butler writes. Quote, "...most of the passengers and a good number of the crew still believed that the Titanic was safe and that everyone would be rescued in a few hours. Four men sitting inside the first-class smoking room calmly played bridge. They seemed determined not to let the noise and confusion of the boat deck interfere with their game." Another man, Monsieur Louis Gotti, was a portrait of nonchalance watching the bustle about the boat deck. Farther forward in the gymnasium, two couples, Mr. and Mrs. Smith and Mr. and Mrs. Harper, relaxed on a quartet of deck chairs and chatted amicably while all around them, people are getting on the lifeboats. You say, were people made aware of a, of a life saving opportunity that they just absolutely neglected and dismissed yes a number of people died on the titanic not because they had to but because they didn't think they were really in dire danger and there are thousands millions of people around us every single day who guess what they don't see the reality of the danger they're in they don't see their lostness they don't they don't see their need for Jesus. And have some of them been told? Have some of them been, been informed? Have some of them come to hear about the life-giving power of Jesus? Yes, they just don't see their need for him. And, and it's this level of lostness that, that should burden us that should motivate us, that, that should lead us forward to take some bold moves because listen, there is no other hope for our world. There is an eternity. There is a heaven and a hell. There is a finality to the future. And the provocation that Paul felt is a provocation that we should feel as we look across our nation and we see masses upon masses of humanity who don't know Jesus and they don't currently see their need for him. That should provoke our spirit. Secondly, check this out, to make the unknown God known, (laughs) and to make a difference in this skeptical society, I believe we also need to be perceptive about our audience. Perceptive about our audience. Notice here, we we saw this in verse 17. Paul is going to both Jews in the synagogue and to the philosophers in the marketplace. (laughs) Man, this is so cool. Paul was able to converse with a wide range of people from different backgrounds and different educational realities. I mean, it was pretty cool how he was able to do that. Paul was like the ultimate like switch hitter. (laughs) Or maybe he was a switch pitcher. You know, he was throwing gospel fastballs wherever he went. It reminds me of a guy I learned about who pitched in the major leagues for several years. His, his name is Pat Vendetti. I don't know if you know Pat Vendetti. He, he can throw with both his right hand and his left. Incredible. He, he literally is um, ambidextrous. One reporter got excited and referred to him as amphibious. I don't think that's what he is. <laughs> the major leagues had to institute a rule because of Pat Vandetti it's known as the Pat Vandetti rule that a pitcher will declare which arm he will throw with before and at bat and use the same arm to pitch with the entire at bat he can pitch with his left hand or his right hand I don't mean to brag or anything but I, I'm a switch hitter I can strike out right handed or left handed <laughs> take your pick I want you to see like the incredible flexibility of the Apostle Paul. Literally, he's, he's like a Pat Vandetti of gospel engagement. He, he can throw a gospel fastball right-handed. You want to switch it up on him? He'll put a different glove on. He'll throw it left-handed. He would go into a Jewish synagogue. What would he do? You know what he would do in a Jewish synagogue? He'd start with the Old Testament. Why? It was a place of agreement. He would go into a Jewish synagogue and he would take a place of agreement. He, what is he? He's perceptive about his audience. And, and, and he would, he, here's the key, he would meet people where they were. We have common agreement about the Old Testament. Let's start there. And, and you know what he would do? He would show people from the Old Testament how Jesus is the Messiah. And then he walks out into the marketplace there in Athens. Now, marketplace is, is not like a, a shopping place primarily. It, it was the place of, of dialogue, discussion, and debate. Listen, there were no 24-hour news cable networks. There were no newspapers. There was no social media. When you wanted information and the sharing of ideas, you went to the marketplace. Where did Paul go? The marketplace. What did he do there? He met people where they were. And when he met Gentile philosophers, he didn't start with the Old Testament. They didn't know the Old Testament. What did he start with? He started with creation. He started with this unknown God let, 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 me, let me give you a snapshot of what Paul said here later on in Acts 17. Check this out. He, he, he goes before the, these men, these philosophers. He says, men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way. You know what? I'm a religious man myself because I was walking along and I saw your many shrines and one of your altars had this inscription on it to an unknown God. And he says, this God whom you worship without knowledge is the one I am telling you about. Hey, look at this. You've got an altar to a God who's the unknown God just to make sure you're covered. Actually, you know what? This is a God I can make known to you. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. Now check this out. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. And since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in your temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he and he alone satisfies every need. And from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determines their boundaries. And his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from him. Any one of us, for in him and in him alone, we live and move and exist. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. You notice here, Paul even quoted a pagan philosopher. You know why? Because all truth is God's truth. <laughs> he says, For in him we live and move and exist. And so he says, because this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen of gold or silver or stone. He's not like all these other false gods here. He's the one true and living God, God overlooked, check this out, people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day in the future for judging the world with justice by the man whom he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. And notice Paul found a place of agreement as an on-ramp. Man, this is so important. Notice Paul, Paul didn't just like walk up to people and say, turn or burn, baby, turn or burn. Like Paul was not like doing like door-to-door visitation. Whew, man, it's hot today, isn't it? <laughs> not as hot as it's gonna be in hell. No, he'd go into a Jewish synagogue. What did he do? Found a place of agreement. He met people where they were. He said, you believe in the Old Testament? So do I. Let me show you from the Old Testament how this guy named Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. You believe in all these gods? Oh, check this out. You believe in a God that you say is an unknown God. I happen to know that God personally. Let me make him known to you. This is the God who created the world. This is the God who created everything in it. This is a God who created from one man all the nations on the earth. And you know why he did that? He did it and he diversified these nations so that they would ultimately seek him and find their salvation in him. So what does it look like to reach people who are skeptical? What does it look like to reach people who don't see their need for Jesus? Listen to me very carefully. You have to meet them where they are. And through meaningful conversation that often takes weeks, if not months, you, 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 by the grace of God, seek to move them from where they are to where they need to be. And over time, listen, we, we understand that God will work as his word is shared and as our testimonies are communicated. So what did Paul do? Well, first of all, he was provoked. Second of all, he was perceptive. He, he met people where they were. And then third, check this out. He was plain about the resurrection. What does it look like for us to engage and to have a, a, a meaningful impact? Well, we have to be plain about the resurrection of Jesus. No matter the unique circumstances surrounding our conversations with various people, all roads ultimately must lead to the resurrection of Jesus. And there's a summary here in verse 18 about Paul's conversation with these philosophers. Check it out. He was debating with the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers. And when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what is this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? That word babbler there was also used of like seed picking. Their, 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 their accusation is like, Paul's like a bird going around picking up seed that's falling on the ground. He's picking up other people's ideas. But how is his teaching summarized? He's telling them about Jesus and the resurrection. Listen, some of you might be new to church, might be new to Christianity today. Let 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 me just make this super simple. Christianity is completely and totally dependent on the historical fact of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. That is our hope. That is what we're all about. If Jesus were not raised from the dead, if he did not in history appear to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, if he did not verify through his power and his presence, his bodily resurrection, then Christianity falls apart and makes absolutely no sense. If you had to boil Christianity down to just one word, that one word would be resurrection. We are a people about the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul's entire line of reasoning here, his entire approach is summarized by the phrase, Jesus and the resurrection. Listen, we are dealing here with life and death. Eternity is at stake. That's what should provoke us about the lostness around us. Eternity is at stake. And so our ultimate goal with all of our bold moves, listen to me very, very carefully here, is to make the unknown God known to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus by which they are resurrected from death to life, not to bring people to our point of view on every current issue. That's not our priority. Our priority is to help people get made right with God and then everything else will take care of itself. (laughs) And the gospel does not come to people because of explanation. Primarily, it comes through revelation. The spirit has to move. The word of God has to have its full effect. And as we share and as we talk, And as we meet people where they are, as we invite, we're praying that the revelation of God's word, that the revelation of this resurrected Messiah would take root in the hearts and the lives of those with whom we are inviting and sharing. Can I give you my concern for modern American Christianity? My concern is that many are elevating relevance to the point that they are excluding resurrection. There are a lot of religious organizations and even churches that are passing on good ideas on managing stress and finances and kids and career. And I'm all for bring a biblical perspective to these areas but ultimately ultimately if we're only bringing relevance without resurrection we are wasting people's time because this is not a self-help club this is not a come every week and feel good about yourself club this is a resurrection club This is, see that all of the things you're pouring into your heart and life will never satisfy you. The only hope for satisfaction, the only hope for fulfillment is salvation. And the only way you can have salvation is through the resurrected Christ, and his name is Jesus. We are ultimately about resurrection. And I love, that was Paul's focus here. Listen, he's he's finding on-ramps in the Jewish synagogue and in in, in the Athenian marketplace. He's provoked in his spirit to have these conversations and he's having them. Notice he's driving every single person to the resurrection of Jesus. And that's why we are here. That's our goal, that's our our aim, that we're we're provoked in our spirit, we're we're perceptive about our audience, but then we're, we're playing about the resurrection. This is life and it's death. And then finally, check it out, as we're sharing, as we're inviting, as we're working, as we're taking these bold moves together, we must be then prepared for different results. You say, okay, what happened? The greatest, maybe the greatest missionary the world's ever known, one of the greatest thinkers the world's ever known, one of the greatest Christian leaders the world's ever known, he shows up there to these synagogues he shows up to the marketplace what happens i mean how many people get saved thousands nope the results were mixed check out how this chapter closes here now when they heard paul speak about the resurrection of the dead that's what his message was ultimately about right some laughed in contempt they laughed at him others said well we want to hear more about this And that ended Paul's discussion with them. But some, some joined him and became believers. And among them, notice the specificity here, was Dionysius a member of the council and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Notice that some reject and some reconsider. Hey, can I give you some good news? If that was true of the greatest missionary the world has ever known, that's gonna be true of you and me as well. Don't take it personally. Some may laugh at you with contempt. <laughs> hey, trust me, I've been laughed at a lot in my life. <laughs> it's all right. Some will reconsider. In fact, that's the majority of responses I'm telling people about Jesus. You know, it, it often takes more than one conversation. It's many conversations. Some will reject and some will reconsider because, you know, they're, they're, they're just not, Familiar with the power of the resurrection. They, 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 don't, they don't know. And some people don't even want to know. You ever had something in your life that you just don't want to know about? For me, that's been true. It's called salami. <laughs> or bologna. Oh, man, my sweet grandmother used to make me the best bologna sandwiches as a kid. Little lettuce and tomatoes, some salt and pepper, some Miracle Whip. Oh, buddy! Oh, my goodness! What time is it? Is it lunchtime? Mm-mm-mm. Some deli bologna. I mean, I'll tell you that'll get you right with the Lord in a hurry. I'm telling you, I. Oh man, I don't eat a lot of it anymore. I try to eat healthy, but there's always that one person when you're eating a bologna sandwich who comes around. You know what's in that, don't you? <laughs> Are you that person? If you're that person, stand up today that we can acknowledge you. Okay? No, I don't want to know what's in it. <laughs> Listen, uh, every now and then, you know what I mean? You go to a game, you're getting that hot dog, and I know we've got healthy hot dogs now. They're all beef hot dogs, <laughs> right? You know what's in that? No, I don't care. It's amazing, right? There are things sometimes you don't even want to know, right? You don't want to know. And believe it or not, there are people in the world today, some, they don't want to know about Jesus. They don't want to know. They just don't want to know. And I encourage you with that because that was true for the Apostle Paul. So please don't be discouraged in sharing your story when someone laughs at you with contempt. Some people just don't want to know. But some people, though, will talk to you further. They'll accept an invitation to come to church with you. They'll accept an invitation to come to an event with you. And then, here's the beauty of it, Over time, some respond. And there's no greater blessing in all the world than seeing someone respond to the life-changing power of Jesus. Because as Paul said, there is a judgment. There is a judgment. There is a heaven and a hell. There is a finality to eternity. And the only hope that we have of life instead of death is the resurrection of Jesus and when someone embraces that there's nothing better and and that's what our nation needs more than anything else would you agree with that that's what our people in our nation need more than anything else the life-changing power of Jesus cuz can I listen up oh man it's it's the gospel that ultimately brings healing what does the gospel bring political healing you know what we have a king we have a king And no matter what we face today, no matter, you know what, like, no matter what leaders we have and no matter what they try to do to stop the advance of God's kingdom, guess what? We have a king who is sovereign. And his kingdom will never end. You know, the gospel brings not just political healing, it brings cultural healing. Every single person is equal before Jesus. Did you notice here, this is awesome. Both Dionysius, a male member of the council and Damaris, a woman in the city are brought to salvation in Jesus and they are both welcomed equally. You didn't have that anywhere else in Athens. You have it in the gospel. The gospel brings political healing. It brings cultural healing. It brings ethnic healing. Guess what? Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, Greeks, they're all one in Jesus and it brings spiritual healing. Jesus is the only one who can meet our deepest need. And so Bell Shoals, our bold moves, our bold moves initiatives, our missionary endeavors, our support of our missionary families, our church planning efforts, our Easter weekend, everything we're doing here, we're, we're, we're striving to take some bold moves to communicate with provocation. The deepest need that people have and it's cure in the person of Jesus. And so let me ask you today, maybe you're here, maybe you're watching us online today. Will you be sensitive to the provoking of God's spirit? Maybe you're here today and, and you tune in every week, you connect every week to feel good, to get a little something to help you through the week. Hey, that's, that's all right. But maybe you've never addressed your deepest need And today the spirits leading you to do that you can respond in one of two ways you you can text us here at bell shoals by simply texting the words bell shoals is 77411 and we'll follow with you in very very short order to connect with you and to have a conversation with you about how you can be saved from your sin and have the hope of eternal life the second way is I'll, i'll be down in the welcome hall as you're leaving today i'd love to connect with you personally we have some incredible team leaders at our connection tables who could connect with you there as well. But please don't leave here today. Please don't close out the, the online viewing screen today without responding to the saving power of Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christ follower. May I, may I encourage you? to lift up, especially these next few weeks, someone in your circle of influence that doesn't know Jesus, to invite them to come with you, to connect with them, to share your story, to meet them where they are, not to win an argument, but but to bring them to the resurrecting power of Jesus. To be open to what God is doing, to to be on board, to be on the team, to be engaged and involved, and, and to champion in your sphere of influence all that God is doing and all that God has done. Listen, we sang it already this morning, that great song, Death Was Arrested. The first verse, alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope, no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began. That's our story. And I believe it's a story worth sharing. How about you? Boldly, making the unknown God known to those around us.